Hello and welcome to season two of Crazy Pastors. I'm your host, Christopher Cass. And I'm your other host, Ronnie Marriott. And this is Crazy Pastors. Today's episode is entitled, Where's the Line? Great question. Great question. Well, is that a show on television? No, whose line is it anyway? Yes. Okay, sorry. Yes. Totally different with the impeccable Drew Carey. Yes. I think there was even a British TV series that that came from. Does it originate from Britain? Sometimes, but I find it fascinating how difficult their humor is to get. Hmm. Yet when we translate it, I find it funny. Isn't that weird? (laughs) I think it's the teeth. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Drew, our engineer, please scratch that from the recording. Okay. I didn't say whose teeth. (laughs) So here's my question for today, Ronnie, and this will be mostly an interrogation of you. Oh, man. Where is the line? Let me set it up. The easiest way to sum this up, the question is, the issue of biblical absolutes versus personal convictions. Yes. Now, we we are Southern Baptists, and we are are known for many lines that we draw in the sand, (laughs) you know, and much like Ronald Reagan did in drawing the line that would not be crossed— yeah. Right? We have the same issue sometimes as Baptists when we talk about things like, when I was at Baylor, dancing at school. Yeah. Right? Dancing at church. Yes. Now, yes. I get playing poker at church is probably not cool, but is dancing yeah. at a wedding reception not oh, cool. Yeah. Right? Right. Or more controversial, that's old school. Now, yeah. we have the issue of, uh, do Baptists drink and smoke? Mm. Right? Yes. So, not at the same time. Per- <laughs> Personal conviction or biblical absolute? And my question for you is, I think there's really two things for us to digest in this. One is, how do you and I personally deal with this as pastors? Yeah. And then also, the second part of it is, how do we deal with the idea that we are also organizational leaders Mm. that are responsible for a flock and a culture and a community? And is there differences in how we handle it personally or organizationally in leadership? Hmm. Yeah, and that's an inter- interesting balance for sure, because uh, again, as you refer to the roles that we have as leaders, as influencers, and typically when you sign up to be a leader, you recognize there are certain sacrifices that have to be made in leading a group of people or organization that may be something opposite of what you feel personally is accepted. So realizing that influence that you have, which is part of the struggle of what makes you crazy as pastors. So like when we were younger in ministry and we weren't the leaders of the flock, then you obviously the the leader. I'm a (laughs) sub-leader. But when we served as associates or directors, ministers, and other churches, we walked in and had to align to the culture that was there and already set. Correct. So like when I was at Fielder, Fielder had, back then at least, I don't know currently what their stance is, but ministers on staff could not drink or smoke. That was, you signed that, that was deacons, that was staff, that was everybody, Yeah. right? And while that is not a personal, that I don't view that as a biblical absolute, right. that because I was hired there, I had to acquiesce to that. Yeah. It was part of the condition of hiring. Yeah. So you, you understand going in that that's part of, of who they are. It, it's okay to mention church names, huh? Well, I okay. think so. All right, good. When I was, I'll give you another Shout one. When I was at Fielder. Inglewood, right? Inglewood Baptist, my ordaining church, they brought me on as a deacon, and the deacon was there, we were the governing council. Yes. At 24 years old. And there were many things that they asked me to sign off and do that I personally did not agree with. Right. Yeah. But I committed to those requirements 
for yeah. the season during which I was under that authority. Sure, yeah. And some churches, like, like you said, the requirement to be a deacon, right? You don't drink alcohol. And someone may have no problem drinking, but hey, in order to be a deacon at this church, for this time I'll set that aside. So those kind of things happen. You did mention the fact that we are Southern Baptists. Yes. And Southern Baptists typically, at least in America, have a reputation that we're known more for what we don't do than what we actually do. And because of that, I think that's not necessarily an illegitimate response to Southern Baptists because we have been known as a reactionary group. So the reason that Baptists took a stance against dancing is because of what was happening in bars and all these movements of teenagers and when rock and roll came around and all the dances started to get a little more physical. So this is all Southern because Baptist of Elvis? Stance, all because of Elvis. It's known as the anti-Elvis movement. You know, drinking, smoking. I remember a time when Southern Baptists boycotted Disney. because That wasn't too that, long ago. That, no, it's in the last 10, 20 years. So it's something that Disney had done. I even forget what the issue was. Yeah, it, it had to do with gay and lesbian issues. Oh, okay. So there was a boycott of Disney, which, you know, not saying that was right or wrong, but there are just these kind of responses that Baptists, Southern Baptists seem to have that kind of gives us those labels. And it's not based on absolutes in Scripture. It's based on how perhaps we interpret some gray areas. There are gray areas in Scripture. Okay, so I'm going to throw out a word that in the New Testament Uh is not necessarily something that we look at with pride. Mm. We know that we had the Essenes, we had the Sadducees, we had the Pharisees, Pharisees, right? Pharisees primarily, at least in my very simple mind, that they added a lot of things— Yes. as mandates that were not mandates, yes, right. which is why sometimes when I get together with my ecumenical brothers, that <laughs> yeah. they might throw out the word Pharisee at me yeah. for being a Southern Baptist. Is, yeah. that, is that fair? Is that just harsh? Is Well, I think in your case it's fair. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the initial response, I don't think it's fair. I mean, let's find out why. All right, let's talk, why do you take this stance? Why do you feel this way? And typically, I think the motivation is pure to try to stamp out something that has been taken to the extreme, right? So Baptists don't drink because we don't want people to become alcoholics, you know? So that's, again... Probably, or that we don't want to cause our brother to stumble. Yeah, so probably not necessarily the right way to go about that. But I think, the, like I said, the motive is pure, even though the execution may not be the best way. And causes so, division. So yeah. does the Bible say, thou shalt not drink? It doesn't. And that's very clear. The Bible says, do not get drunk. And so I think even as you see the progression of Baptist, if you will, to use that progressive term, there is that understanding of drinking by some Baptist churches is accepted. But obviously, I don't know anybody that says it's okay to get drunk because that's black and white in Scripture when it comes to that issue. But is it okay to social drink? Is it okay to have a beer after mowing the yard or whatever? I think that's becoming less and less the issue. Yet there are also probably some lines that I'm going to go ahead and come out and say that I do not believe that drinking is inherently evil, right? right? Drinking sure. alcohol. I, well, without getting into all kinds of details, but, uh, you. you know, I appreciate nice things. Yeah. But there are, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there is wisdom in knowing when and where and how. Right. Like I'll give you an example. One of the, well, I'll give you two. I was at a large church and uh, working with them, and they had a staff Christmas party yeah. on campus mm-hmm. where they served wine and other beverages at the Christmas meal at the staff party. Sure. That, for me, was 
a really awkward. Yeah. I, I didn't really feel that that was the spot. There was another church I worked with that at an elder meeting, mm-hmm. you know, they served a full bar yeah. at the elder meeting. And, and here they were getting ready to discuss yeah. the spiritual leadership of the entire flock they're responsible for. Yes. I'm not saying that what they did was wrong. I'm not saying that they got drunk. I don't, no one yeah. did. Yeah. It's just there, there's an appropriateness sometimes to some of these things, I think, that just wisdom. Or but, am I wrong? No, I think you're right. They're, you know, reminded of a church in an area where I served a while back that they were kind of known for being edgy, and they really capitalized on that. And one of those issues was alcohol. They made no bones about that they were okay with people drinking, staff drinking. In fact, even seeing some of the staff out in public and just kind of making sure everybody saw the beer bottle or whatever on their table, it was a little obnoxious. It was a mark of pride. It, it was. It really yeah. was. Even a to beer the point at lunch for a staff member? A, yeah, they had a staff Christmas party where alcohol had been served, and so some brilliant person decided to shoot a staff video and then to send that out so for a Christmas video. So it's just, you know, things like that. I mean, come on. That's, a, that's to the extreme. So but, if you, you have people that come up and say, hey, if I have wine with dinner, is that okay? Yeah, it is okay. You know, but also understanding an illustration of that church that can you imagine walking by and seeing your staff drunk in a restaurant? Well, that's going to be very disheartening to a church member as well making a statement about a church to the community. That always has to be in your mind that what are people going to see you doing? How does that represent Christ, your right. church? And others. Can I tell you, we talk about crazy pastors. Yeah, and these were... A church that I served on staff with had two pastors that decided that it was a smart idea to go down to downtown Dallas and participate in the beer crawl. <laughs> I don't know, 20-something places, 20 beer. I mean, yeah. and taking pictures and yeah. posting them on social media the whole way. Yeah. yeah. That is ludicrous. It is. And caused some serious problems. We've all seen the drunken posts. And the drunken text, and yeah. So, can I speak to our staff just for a moment? Yeah, because I know all of them They're are all listening. Here in the room. Hey, guys. Right. Hey, if you choose to partake adult beverages, please do not take pictures and post them on social media. <laughs> all right. Amen to that. You give up the right to do that if you're on staff here at this church. Okay, now, but getting to, there's dozens more of these types issues to talk about. If we have enough time, I'll get to the probably the the biggest one out there right now. But before we get there, you said something earlier that is significant. Thank you. Uh, well, sometimes hey, you do. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> T-bone out? See you, T-bone out. <laughs> what you said is that all truth in the world is not in the Bible. Okay. Right? 9.82 right. meters per second squared. Right. Gravity on this planet is not listed in the Bible. Correct. Yet it is true. Correct. Yes. But where the Bible does speak, it yes. is true, and it is authoritative. Yes. So where do we draw that line, and how do you... What, what are the big issues that you think of that we're rattling around with as a culture where yeah. the Bible does speak clearly about this, and then there's some that it's just it's not clearly defined, or perhaps arguments can be made on both sides of an issue. Well, it's, it's interesting, and kind of there's always seems to be two camps in regard to church and ministry. I remember back in the day what it was about end times, right? Where you right. pre-millennial, pre-millennial, all-millennial, post-millennial, no-millennial, you know, just where do you fall in end time? How do you interpret Revelation? And that was a dividing line, and that's you could... De- define churches by their stance on the end times. But just imagine that you were a staff member that felt differently about how the church had approved their stance on the end times. 
So is that a deal breaker? Is that something where you shouldn't be allowed to serve on that staff if you don't agree wholeheartedly with everything in those gray areas of church? And so I think churches had to wrestle with that, and individuals had to wrestle with that. Now, you say it's a gray area, but I'm pretty sure it says clearly that it's post-millennial. Well, I'm pretty sure that's an opinion. (laughs) So what you're not saying is that Revelation does not give us a clear indication on how this is going to happen. Right, yeah. So all those interpretations have value. The ultimate goal of Revelation truly is an encouragement to churches, an encouragement to those being oppressed, focusing on Jesus, who is the Lamb that is worthy. But we can also get into the weeds of what and trying to interpret that, because I think a lot of times churches just, they want to be the ones that unravel the mystery that for generations and millennia people have struggled with. And so we know the insight, and that just begins dangerous. So now that has shifted. It used to be about the inerrancy of Scripture. Now it's kind of in Calvinism, Arminianism. Now it seems to be moving towards women in ministry and some of those issues. So there's always like a battle, it seems like, that churches try to fight. And it's typically always based on those kind of gray areas in Scripture. It is fascinating to me how much time is wasted talking about things that don't add to who Jesus was, who he is, and what's our response to that, right? I I get really frustrated, and I apologize if my friend is listening to this, (laughs) but I had lunch recently with a friend who had just shared that he's leaving his church after 15 years, and he's a lay leader, and he loves his pastor, but he and his pastor don't agree on the interpretation of Revelation, and that's the issue. That's the deal breaker for him. Yeah. And I just thought, man, that is so sad. Yeah. yeah. Of all things, yeah. why why is that the deal? Yeah. Right? Let's well, talk cessation of gifts. I mean, yeah. Th- yeah, where do you land on that? You know, I had a situation with a staff member. Which we're not member. cessationists. That's right. S- staff member that was a Calvinist. I'm not a Calvinist. And I found that after the hire. And it, honestly, at first, that caused me heartburn. Mm-hmm. Like, man, you shouldn't be here. And just talking through that issue with him, which was insightful, enlightening to me to hear his viewpoint. He got to hear my viewpoint. Ultimately, I was the boss, so I got to say, however you feel about the elect predestination, you need to go out and witness, <laughs> you know. And, and that was, and that's not, you know, Calvinists don't disagree with that at all. They still carry out the Great Commission. And so we were able to land on those things we agree on. It wasn't a division between us. It actually, I think, strengthened our understanding of our views and of one another. So I think it can be handled in a healthy manner. It doesn't have to be, you can't serve here because you don't think the way I think. Unless it is truly, you know, hey, oh, the remnant, the 144,000, those well, ones going yeah. to heaven. If it's heretical, I mean, that's a different story. But. Well, I think that's part of the problem, though, Ronnie, is yeah. that people, one, are ignorant of what heretical is, <laughs> right? So when we True. have a huge problem based, you know, look at the American Gospel documentary series. We have a tremendous movement and undercurrent in our affluent society yeah. of this idea that it is special new revelation from God that you need to hear. Yeah. And pastors are pitching and selling. God has spoken to me in a way that he's not spoken to anybody else on the planet. If you come yeah. to my church, red I'll flag, give you red the secrets. Flag, red flag. Yes. Right? Yeah. So should be. What more is God revealing right now? Yeah. Not that's the the word of God is is complete and so to take that special revelation that's been taken care of but a lot of it does just fall down into interpretation but I did have you know one guy we we're talking about the issue of can women be elders can women be senior pastors right and so he was expressing his opinion and scripture to back all that up as well as I did the same and he made a statement anyone who disagrees with my stance is teaching heresy to believe what you believe is heresy. Like, okay, well, that's the problem. <laughs> we can't 
reason together because right. now you're drawing that line. And if you don't step on my side, then I have nothing to do to where I'm, I'm going to call you names. Well, and again, we see that happen time and time again. So, Ronnie, you've preached some really, really strong messages for five, six weeks now. I think I even mentioned that last week in the podcast. Uh, so thank you for being who you are. Thank you. One of the things you have talked about is binary bias, confirmation bias. Just tell me in a nutshell, what is binary bias and what's the danger of that? Well, kind of like, I guess, what we talked about, that the world is broken into two types of people or every, every argument only has two sides. So right. we narrow that down the right versus left, because it's just easier to manage when there's only two types or two sides of the of the argument. The problem is that's not the case in so many arguments, and we, we shut out hearing other opportunities, other ideas, other philosophies. So it becomes us versus them, right? And I think that happens in church a lot of times. And it becomes right versus wrong. Yeah, and that's, you know, part of even that issue uh, leads us to labeling people leads us to cause division. If you're not among us, if you're not one of us, you're my enemy. Mm-hmm. You're the other side, so your goal is to come. I'm a Republican. Yeah. You're I, a Democrat, therefore you're my you enemy. Have, how can you have friends who are Democrats if you're a Republican? Or Presbyterians. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, again, it goes against Jesus's prayer. You know, Father, let them be one as you and I are one. Recognize that we're going to have differences. You know, if that means just, let's just talk about our commonalities and let's steer away from our differences Whatever, as long as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone, Scripture says. So that's one way we can do that, rather than just allowing that binary bias to step in and cause division in our churches, because then you become very narrow-minded. You only listen to people who agree with you. You only talk to people who are on your side, Mm. and that becomes very limited, very narrow-minded of people. I had a dear friend of mine, Sean Bettis. Love him. Shout out, Omaha. Hey, Sean. Who said to me a long time ago that I needed to listen to 15 minutes of NPR every day. Wow. And That's a lot. I admit, I made it about five minutes into NPR, <laughs> but I did try to do it every single day. Or Don yeah. McMinn would, although he's conservative, he reads the New Yorker magazine yeah. to expand his mind. And, and that's great. See different ideas. You need to hear from somebody who has a different view than you. I hope so, including atheists. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's dip our toe into an issue that's a big issue. It could be a whole series of podcasts. And let me give a disclaimer first. We are not going to do a theological discourse on the topic, (laughs) right? There are numerous resources. Grudem and Piper have written some books on it, and you can go to Grudem and read more. I mean, there's yeah. so many places you can find the scholarly counsel on this topic. So yes. let's talk about it more from a practicality and, and living through it. Okay. The whole issue of women in ministry and egalitarian versus complementarianism. What does God's Word say in general about these things? Well, explain those terms, first of all, maybe for our listeners who well, may not be the, familiar. The roles of men and women as it relates in their marriage mm-hmm. and in church authority, yes. they mirror each other. And there's two different general rules or camps that people land in, although it's a continuum of discussion. It's not yes. one or the other. Yeah. There's bleeding between the two. Blending, I should say, yeah. between the two. <laughs> Some uh, egalitarian is essentially that men and women are equals, and all that is available to a man is available to a woman, including church leadership, yeah. pastoral titles, senior pastor roles. Yeah, all those titles listed in Scripture. Right. The complementarian side says that most of them would probably still say we're equal— But we have different roles that we play, and so there are some roles and functions that are available for men and some that are available for women, and they're clearly distinct from each other. Yeah. Is that my elementary— Well, no, I think that 
sums it up nicely because it's not an argument of equality that men and women are created in the image of God. That's not the argument. We both sides would agree to that. It is what is the role that they play in church leadership, church governance, whatever. So that's become a major issue. And like I said, there's validity on both sides of that argument, I believe, as I see. And it kind of comes down to where have we as a church defined this issue? Do we believe that, yes, women can become elders, women become senior pastors? And so if you listen to that side, they have their arguments based on Scripture, based on interpretation, as well as those that say, well, women can have every role except for elder or or senior lead pastor. And they have Scripture to back that up and validity on their argument as well. So it really is, I think, why can't it just be okay? Hey, your church has accepted this, that women can be pastors. Our church has decided that no, they cannot, based on our interpretation of Scripture, doesn't make you wrong or evil. Just we don't believe you're doing it the right way. Okay, that's fine. We don't always agree with everyone anyway, so why can't we just agree to disagree and let's get along? It is interesting, though, that as soon as we say that you're not doing it the right way, that implies that the way you're doing it is wrong, Yeah. right? Sure. Why can't we actually view it as both are reasonable, yeah. Right. And going back to the initial question of where's the line, yeah. I think where it gets really difficult for us in ministry leadership is understanding that we feel a certain way about things. Yeah. And these, and when I, I'm talking specifically about non-black and white issues, there mm-hmm. are clearly black and white issues yeah. identified in the Bible, right. but there are plenty that are not black and white. And so how do we decide what we personally believe, but then also have balance and reasonableness in our local context that frankly might not agree with where we're at. And then what right do we have as leaders to impose our personal positions on top of a contextual ministry? Right. And, you know, contextualization is a big issue behind these types of arguments. Part of our goal in biblical criticism is to try to find out what context was Paul writing the letter to Timothy? Right. What was going on? Why did he say what he did? And, and in some sense, we're limited to that. We don't have original manuscripts. We weren't there. We don't have you know, certain resources that would make that a little more clear. So um, let's just acknowledge that. And we can go down, not just women in ministry, we can talk about baptism, we can talk about all these doctrines and issues of our church, pillars of our church. And, and there are some, hey, I can see where you would reason that to be the case. I've reasoned that this is a different viewpoint of that. So we learn from that, not to say that you are wrong or right, just a different way of doing things. Let me ask you this. What were Euodia and Syntyche fighting about? I think it was what channel to watch on Netflix. (laughs) That was one of the bigger issues back in that day. All right, let's take a break here for a second. Let's go into our no-go-no segment Mm. for today. Ronnie, would you like to go first or do you want me to? You go ahead. I'll go second. Okay, I am... Or third, whichever. (laughs) Since this podcast is called Where's the Line, I was reminded of a podcast that I've really enjoyed. I'm going to give you a disclaimer that there is language and content discussed in this, including mental health issues that are for an adult audience only. So be cautious on how and where you listen to this podcast. But the podcast was called The Line. Mm. And it's by a guy that produced it, Dan Taberski. It's uh, a good one. Yes, it, it is good. I was on vacation hunting for podcasts and came across his original podcast 
where is Richard Simmons? <laughs> and that was pure entertainment. Which has been on my mind for years. Not, not much to learn from that one, but yeah. it was very entertaining. Very short. But this one, the line is about the, the mental impacts of special forces operators in warfare mm. and how that can damage families and how we need to do a better job caring for them. But heavy. so anyway, that was my, that's heavy. my go. That's definitely a go for me. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you bring this up because I let you borrow the book, Life Together, by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Yes. And, and this has been a very impactful book in my life. I'm just big on community right now, understanding community, large in part of the series, sermon series we just went through, but Rosaria Butterfield's Gospel Comes with a House Key, all that kind of tying in. And, and Bonhoeffer, just a deeper look at community and the faith, what it means to be a part of a Christ community, what it means to live together. And he, he definitely, in this book, Life Together, pushes this idea of covenant relationship, that it's not a contract that we're in. We are truly people of the covenant, which has a whole new level of commitment to one another and truly being brothers and sisters in Christ, what that means, and the necessity of having that, Why explanation of why God wired us that way or how God wired us that way and the importance of it in our life. So it was, it was a great book to add to some of these other books I've been reading. Now, for those that don't know, Ronnie, can you just share just a little bit about Bonhoeffer and why he is worth reading? Yeah, well, he was, you know, pastoring during the Nazi Germany regime. He was very outspoken against Hitler, and because of that was ultimately killed for his stance against what Hitler was doing. And he saw very early on the atrocities that were being performed under Hitler's leadership. And as a pastor, spoke out and gave his life for the cause. And because, of course, wrote, wrote a lot, a lot of sermons, a lot has been written about him, and he was a very impactful man. It made a difference all over the world during that crazy, crazy, difficult time. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with me. I know that that book means a lot to you because there were so many different colors of crayons in there. It was really, <laughs> really impressive. Well, I still eat crayons, so I had to change them out. <laughs> several times. Okay, well, in, in summing up our episode here... <laughs> that was funny and cruel all at the same time. We've been talking about where's the line, and really the issue, I think, for all of us to just have is a, a measuring stick, is be careful when you impose personal convictions yes. and make them biblical absolutes, lest you become pharisaical. There you go. Good word. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Crazy Pastors. As always, if you have a crazy pastor story to share or would like us to discuss a specific topic, please email those to crazypastors at firstburleson.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. See you next time.